Yeah, my wife Angela has a, a new job, and she's working for Purple, which is like a mattress company. And they love her so much, they made her like manager, which means she has to work on weekends sometimes. <laughs> and I said, honey, I'm talking about love. And she goes, that's okay. You can still talk about love, but if you talk about me, you're going to buy me an outfit. So, Vangela, if you're listening or watching, you're welcome. The world has a lot of definitions, or the world will try to tell us about what real love is, right? There's a lot of different ways, and I think one of the best ways to kind of kick this off would be to have a little competition. This side of the auditorium is a little light, but you guys are the underdogs. There's less of you. There's more of you over here. We're going to have a little Name That Song competition. I looked up Billboard chart top 50 of all time, love songs, all time, going way back. And so these are the the songs that held the number one or the highest position on Billboard charts uh, in the last probably 70 years. So I'm going to play it, and you either have to yell out the, the song title or the artist. And if I hear it, and you know, this year actually is less, like I, I had a firearm accident when I was young, and so maybe it was fireworks, I don't know, either way, I I won't be able to hear you guys as well, so you guys, I'm with you, I'm with you. Here is your first song. Stop it. Stop it. Here we go. Are you reading my notes? One, zero. And what's the name of the song? It's not Jesus Loves Me. It's I Will Always Love You. But she sings a great Jesus Loves Me song. It's the last song she ever sang before she passed. Um, yes. And this is Name the Movie. Anyone name the movie? Bonus point. Bodyguard. Right on. I heard it from here. So it's one, one. Here we go. Next song. There's five left. This is a different one. I did not know this would be in the top six all time so this goes back a little ways what yes paul mccartney wings silly love songs i mean listen let me move it forward We found love is correct. We found love is correct. The author, the Rihanna, right on. But you, you got the title right. Two to two. I'm the scorekeeper. I'm the scorekeeper. I gave the bonus for bodyguard. We're getting competitive up here. I like it. I like it. Here we go. Three left. Three left. I heard it. Who said it? Bee Gees. Bee Gees. What's the name of the song? How deep is your love? Let's hear it. How deep is your love? Good song right there. You know what I'm saying? 
All right, two left. Here we go. This is my era. This is my generation. I was in high school when I bought this CD. Let's go, baby. Boys to Men. What's the name of the song? You don't have to say it in church. Here we go. That means we're like four to two. Come on. Come on, guys. Here we go. You got one left. I'm gonna, this is bonus round. This is the final round. You guys can tie it up or you guys can take home the trophy. Here we go. Number one love song of all time. My love. Who said it? Lionel Richie. The name of the song is The Only Thing That's Endless Love. to let him play softly in the background as I preach. Is that right with that? Endless love. Okay. So the world's going to tell you, I mean, love is the number one topic of, of all songwriters, all the songs in the world. They want to talk about love. But I think that the, the challenge is most of us have experienced the country version of that, which is uh, looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah. And so we have to understand, like, man, I thought that's what, what love is, but that, that didn't work out. That wasn't love, right? And we're going to take a look at what, what love is um, in the gospel and what Jesus' definition of love. And so here's the point today. The gospel shows us that true love requires sacrifice of self. But it doesn't have to drain us to the point where we have nothing left to give. Okay? That the gospel... It, through the, the lens of watching in the life of Christ, we realize that the love, true love requires self-sacrifice, but you don't have to be, like, weak or meek. That is not uh, what real love is, it looks like. So, you guys are doing good so far with the love songs. Let me uh, give you another example. A good modern example of a character transformed by love is this guy. Who's this? Iron Man, what's his name in the Marvel Universe? Tony Stark. Tony Stark. Oh, man. I love me some Iron Man. Stay right there. Tony Stark is a great example, not of Jesus Christ, but he's a great example of a person who's pretty, like, naturally selfish. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you got Tony, and then here's, here's another picture, one of my favorites. I mean, he's trying to figure out how the suit works, and he's got the... I mean, who doesn't want to have that power, right? Tony Stark, he started out in the Marvel Universe in Iron Man as one of the most selfish people. Here's a short clip of Tony getting interviewed by a, by a like a, well, he's getting interviewed and just, you can see what I mean. Go ahead and play that. Mr. Stark, excuse me, Mr. Stark, Christine Everhart, Vanity Fair Magazine, can I ask you a couple of questions? She's cute, she's all right. Hi. Hi. Yeah. It's okay? Okay, go. You've been called the Da Vinci of our time. What do you say to that? Absolutely ridiculous. I don't paint. And what do you say to your other nickname, the Merchant of Death? That's not bad. Let me guess. Berkeley? Brown, actually. Well, Ms. Brown, it's an imperfect world, but it's the only one we've got. I guarantee you the day weapons are no longer needed to keep the peace, I'll start making bricks and beams for baby hospitals. You rehearse that much? Every night in front of the mirror before bedtime. Every night before bedtime. 
Tony Stark. What we can see is a man who has everything money can buy. And he's got the fame, he's got the fortune, and the world literally in his mind rotates around him. And so the cool part in the end game, in Avengers Endgame, we get to see a heart changed. We get to see a man who was once all about himself and his empire, his kingdom, now realizing that there needs to be a sacrifice made in order to save others, to the people he loves, and ultimately the world. Great example of a heart changed. In his letter to the Romans, another great example, a real-life example, not a Hollywood example, but a real-life example is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was uh, kind of like a, a Tony Stark in his day. He was a killer. He was the, the, the destroyer of Christians. And so he was known. He had a reputation, and he had authority to go and take Christians and pull them out of their homes and bring them in front of the, 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 the crowd and let them be stoned to death. He was a murderer, and he, in the name of God even. And then you see a heart change when he comes face to face, literally face to face with Jesus Christ. And he gets blinded and, and Jesus gets a hold of his heart. It took a lot to get a hold of his heart, okay? But it happened. When people meet Jesus, we're, they're never the same. I don't know what your story is, but man, when you meet the creator of the universe and you meet Jesus and you understand and you feel for the first time that you were like drowning in an ocean of your own sin and destruction, and then Jesus comes along and throws you a lifeline, brings you in, and this amazing grace that you feel, is it changes you. It's, it's, no, it's no mystery that statistics and studies show that the people who are most willing to bring others to church or to bring others to Jesus and tell them about Jesus are people that are within the first two or three years of coming to Christ. The young Christians, those who come to Christ, people talk about what they love, right? And why is it many of us here, I mean, I'm sitting here as 48-year-old man, and I came to Christ 10 years, I was 10. So, I mean, I got decades in my walk with Christ. How much am I talking about him to others? It's interesting how the young Christian statistically, is the one that's going to share more, with more people because they've, they've experienced that heart change. They've seen the proof of following Jesus in, in this freedom that we can walk in. And there's, there's this love. So let me read from Romans where Paul wrote about this amazing, extravagant love. It's in Romans chapter 5. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were enemies, we were also reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And he can't stop. He goes, and more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now received reconciliation. He could have stopped that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
And then he's writing, and he's like, it's more than that, guys. It's bigger than that. Can you just see the, the joy coming up in, in his heart as he's inspired to put these words pen to paper? He's like, okay, we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That's cool. But, but since that's true, we now have been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved then from the wrath of God. How cool is that? For if, if, if while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved And then even more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive reconciliation. That's an example of a heart that was changed by Jesus, excited for what he now has in this life to come. So that's a great example, the Apostle Paul. Um, In Matthew, a follower of Christ, I love Matthew's kind of story character in The Chosen, as he was chosen by Jesus in a unique way. He wasn't really welcomed in The Chosen version by the disciples because of his profession and who he was. And it was just kind of like, ah, he was an oddball. And Jesus loves oddballs. Turn to someone and say, you're an oddball. Another way to say that is you're one of a kind. You're an original. And Jesus saw everyone for who they could become, not how the world would say, yeah, but he's like a tax guy. Like, he steals from people. No, he's, no, he's, not, he's not one of us. Jesus didn't see that. Matthew writes this. Matthew writes in verse, chapter 5, verse 44, he says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now, why is that unique? Why is that important? Why love your enemies? Pray for those who persecute you? Because, let me let, me, let, me let you in on a little secret. We were once enemies. You see, God is holy, and we are not. The presence of sin cannot be in his presence. We were sinners, born into it. Therefore, we were born enemies of God. And God still loved you so much, loved me so much, that he decided to let his son be the sacrificial lamb, the blood of the lamb that that reconciles us, that justifies us. That's crazy. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. So Matthew understood that, that he had a heart change as well. Now the world, and even some people in church, would have us believe that humility and meekness are signs of weakness. That if you're humble, that if you're meek, you're weak. But through the life of Christ and the gospel that we see and read, it shows us that true love isn't possible without either of those things. Jesus was both humble and meek. But in his sacrificial, selfless love for others, we see what I would call divine strength. You know, when Jesus said to his disciples, all power and authority in heaven is given to you, he's like, he's basically saying everything I got, you know, all the, all the power. Think of Iron Man, you know. All of God's power and all of God's authority. That word in the Greek is exousia. Exousia. Say it with me. Exousia. Now, that is true power. 
it's almost like you got to do it with like a karate chop. Like, exusia. You know what I'm saying? Now say it with me, but flex a muscle. Exusia. Oh, yeah, good job. I saw you in the back. She was double, double gunning it back there. It's just a powerful word. And God's going, listen, all that power is yours. Meekness is not weakness when it comes to love. In the gospel, we see that true love is boundless, yet it still has boundaries. Boundless, yet still has boundaries. Henry Cloud and John Townsend write about the importance of creating healthy boundaries in a book called Boundaries. There's a whole series. Boundaries for marriage, boundaries for children, boundaries for dating, boundaries for teenagers. Great books. I love them. They have a website that they go on and they like answer people's questions in short video clips and they, they put them up there as like topical. You can search by the question or you can search by topic and you get this two or three minute like awesome Christian counseling on anything you could want. I highly recommend these Christian counselors. I, I recommend the books. Let me, let me quote something. Boundary setting is a large part of maturing. You meet someone who doesn't stay within the boundaries, you're going to meet someone who's on the road to consequences. When you understand the freedom within boundaries, you realize you can really have a lot of life and a lot of abundance inside the lines. They say we can't really love until we have boundaries. Otherwise, we love out of compliance or guilt. And we can't really be productive at work or in, in our relationships without boundaries. So we're so, or we're so busy following other people's agendas that we're double-minded and unstable. You gotta know your limits. One of the exercises these guys talk about is the ability to say yes or no and understand that if you're like me, I love to say yes. Saying yes to somebody's question makes me feel good, and I can tell it makes them feel good too. But if I say yes to every request, I will not have any time for those I love the most, right? Even time for, for Jesus, even time for my wife or my family, even time for golfing and elk hunting. I'd be just doing a lot of good stuff because I like to say yes. But when I understand that when I say no to blank, even though it's a good thing, I'm actually saying yes to what's most important in my life. You see, a lot of pastors like myself, a lot of people who serve in the church and, and who want to a, make a difference by showing people like, hey, this is my church and I'm, I'm proud of it. And I want to serve like Michael is serving back as a greeter. And he owned it. He, he is owning that door. If you walked in that door, you probably were greeted by Michael. And thanks for being a great example of a servant with a smile. But I'm talking about this ability to say no, to have limits. It really does allow you then to really work within the lines. If everybody went home today, got in your vehicle, and you just decided, I think those yellow lines in the middle of the road are just suggestions. Let's see what it's like to drive in England. It would be chaos. We gotta follow the lines. We gotta understand freedom within those boundaries. Now, Henry Townsend says, the goal is to have a character structure that has boundaries 
and that can set limits on self and others at the appropriate times. So, through Jesus, Jesus showed love to everyone, including the religious leaders who were trying to kill him. He even showed love to his closest friends, but he had boundaries. Example, Lazarus was on his deathbed, and friends of the family were sent to Jesus, another town, but close, where they know if he hurried, he could get there that day. And Jesus said, yes, I will come. Take, don't worry, Lazarus, I'll come. And then he continued ministering and doing what he was doing, and I'm sure the people were sitting over here tapping their foot, like, when's he leaving? Like, let's go, he's like dead. Jesus understood boundaries. God knew that Jesus needed to still be doing work in Bethany as well as in the town Jesus was at the moment. See, Lazarus was in Bethany. He knew there was something that would not be fully accomplished in the gospel if he left early. And so he delayed, and it really, they were really distraught about that. Like, how, why, why could you be late? You ever come home late for dinner? And you're, you're, somebody in the family has made dinner, whether it's your spouse or somebody, you know, like kids, and you're like, I'm so sorry. And there's like a plate in the, in the, in the fridge, you know, all wrapped up for you. And you're like, oh, it's so nice. It doesn't feel good. I, I, I do a lot of the cooking, probably 50-50 with Vangela. And it's funny to me how irritated I can get when people don't come to the table right when that food comes off the grill. And I'm thinking to myself, I want what's best for you. So get your butts to the table, you know? And it's like, whoa, whoa, easy, Dad. I'm like, whoa, sorry. I just, it's good, you know? Finally, I'm like, okay, here's the rule. When I call you or text you, it's time to come. You got 60 seconds, and Mom and I are praying. You know, it's usually not my wife. It's our kids. I'm almost done, Dad, playing the game. All right. One of the most refreshing things the gospel shows is that God's love for you, for me, doesn't change when we fail, when we stumble. Most of us are in relationship with rules. And there's things, and if we, if we just do ABC, then we're going to get XYZ. And it's like, yes, it's transactional. It, it's, it's, we're human. I, I fail at this, this unconditional love thing. And I try not to. And a lot of times, when I'm dealing with something internal, with my wife, and oh, there's another outfit. Anyways, with Vangela, it's like, because I don't want to say something wrong, I'll get quiet. Now, fellas, if you're this guy that you kind of pull away because you don't want to say something wrong, but you also know that if you pull away, it's a form of punishment where you're like, yeah, she'll, she'll learn. Inside your head, you, you know you're thinking this. That's my usual MO is like, I'm going to just be a little passive for a minute. I learned this from my own parents. And so it's like, okay, all right, all right. We'll see how she deals with it when I'm not giving her my full attention. Let's see how that goes. It never goes good. So I've learned through marriage counseling and through, through some like assessment learning about her love and my love and languages that when I feel that, I have to be assertive and communicate to her what I'm feeling. But not just what I'm feeling, but communicate what I really want. Because we're all good. Raise your hand if you're good at communicating your emotions. We're all pretty good at that. Come on. We're good at that. We can tell people how we feel. We're, I'm really good at it on Instagram. 
but what do you want? Why are you feeling that way? You got to get in the feels and in your emotions and realize, why did I get triggered? Why did I get quiet? Why did I pull away? Understanding that is such a beautiful gift to give to your spouse to say, hey, I'm feeling this and I don't want to feel this way about you. This is what I really want. I felt this way. And you just kind of get in there and you realize when you look for things when they're this big, before they get this big, it's a beautiful thing. You're not being irresponsible. You're actually being pragmatic. You're, you're, you're being progressive. So when we stumble and fail, the cool thing is Jesus says, I got you. But the problem is many of us, when we fail and stumble, we, we put Jesus back on the cross and we say, please forgive me again. And it's like, he's like, Jesus is like, I did this once. Stop putting me on the cross. The cross is empty, y'all. The grave is empty, y'all. I don't put Jesus back on the cross. Forgive yourself. If God can forgive you, then so can your spouse, so can your family, but you gotta forgive yourself. Now, finally, the gospel shows up <clears throat> in a unique way. It shows us that although we can't be perfect in love, in our own capabilities and strength, we can be perfected in Christ. That when we are weak, he is double gun strong. Jesus is strong. So we can learn to lean into that. Use all of your strength. It's like you're digging a ditch and you've got a buddy with an excavator and you're just working your butt off digging that ditch until you're just spent. And you're like, all you had to do is ask for my help. I'll come help you. But you think, no, I got this. This is on me. And that's the challenge we have. A lot of us as men is we don't like to ask for help or directions, right? We'll get there an hour late, but we'll get there. We got to learn to say, Jesus, I need help. And that's, that's a humbling thing to do. It's also one of the most strong and, and it's one of the most like beautiful things when you just say, I don't have it, but I know you do. I need you in my life. I need patience. I need grace for this person right now. I'm weak, but you're strong. When you acknowledge that, you unlock this heavenly power for yourself, this heavenly ability to be more like Jesus. This means that each new day offers us a chance to be perfected in love and show that same kind of love to others. Tony Stark didn't become a hero willing to sacrifice all for others overnight. It's a process, yeah? It's a process. We won't be transformed in one day either. But we can take a step towards that, becoming a better person for the ones we love and the world around us. I want to close with this story. Let's look at how Jesus used love in the gospel. If you've ever looked at the book Love Languages by Gary Chapman, there's five different love languages. One of mine, my top two, is words of affirmation and physical touch. Jesus used the love language of physical touch in a crazy cool way. In biblical times, there were a number of people who were considered outcasts. The same is true today. Some were outcasts due to public knowledge of an immoral lifestyle, like the woman caught in adultery and dragged into the public square to be stoned. 
Some people were outcast by their choices and it became public. Some were outcasts due to uncleanliness caused by a pandemic or a sickness. I mean, you ever cough in a public place the last few years? And everyone looks at you weird? And you're like, it's okay, it's, it's, a, it's a post-nasal drip, like, trust me. I mean, seriously, I cough today and I'm like, People were labeled unclean to, because of a disease called leprosy. And leprosy wasn't just an internal thing that you would get a cough. It was an external, like the skin got really, really gross, even to the point of falling off, and you got just lots of sores. And they, there was this thing about going to the temple for worship or the tabernacle. You had to be clean. And, and the high priest had to go through a different ceremonial ways to stay clean. Even uh, the, the Good Samaritan story about the, the, the Levite that came and passed on the other side of the, of the road, it didn't help the, the, the guy that was hurt. And Well, part of it is the story goes, he's, he was probably on the way to the temple. He didn't want to be unclean. It was used as, as an example of what not to do. He should have stopped and helped the guy. Love your neighbor, right? But there's this clean and unclean. Leprosy was a bad disease. There was a lot of social side effects if you had leprosy. You had to live outside the town, and when you did come in to the town or come to the pool of Bethesda to, like, get clean and wash up, you had to yell, unclean, so people knew, oh, stay away. It's contagious. So it it had a lot of different ramifications. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus does something most Jews and we ourselves would never want to do. People found it repulsive. He physically touched a leper. It says in Matthew 8, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him. Jesus sees this outcast. He sees an untouchable, and he sees him worshipping him. And the guy is saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He put his faith in Christ. And then Jesus put out his hand and he touched him. And he said, I am willing. Be cleansed. And it says in scripture, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I would have loved to have been there for that. That would have been pretty cool. What was the significance of this touch? Jesus didn't have to touch him. Many times Jesus just spoke the words and the person was healed. Yeah? But in this moment... I think for the multitudes that were around, he wanted to show them what true love looks like. He was willing to touch the untouchables. He was willing to love the outcast. That's an example for us. What do you think this communicated to that leper? And I don't don't know where Jesus touched him, but I just feel like he touched him either on his head or his shoulder. And I think his hand probably stayed there for a few seconds. That leper must have been just thinking, what is he doing? Doesn't he know? Everyone's going to scatter. And those that were closest probably got to see the leprosy just go away. Unclean became clean. That must have been a powerful time. That's true love. Physical touch can communicate love and respect. It also can communicate acceptance. 
joy. So I want to encourage you to consider what true love really is. I want you to consider that boundaries are a beautiful thing when it comes to loving people, especially if you're a teenager. Hear me. Mom and dad's boundaries are there for your own good. I know it's not easy, but that's what love looks like. If they didn't love you, they'd let you do whatever you wanted to do. I want to close with just, I think, a, a great example. One of the best ways that I've seen true love on display is when a husband and wife come together in a blended family and when, when his kids or her kids become their kids. When this stepdaughter, stepson become family, a husband becomes a father to them. And I got a buddy Tyson here today, and I think Tyson, I just want to say, you've been a great example of a guy who loves his wife, and, and you have beautiful daughters here with you today, but I've also got to witness how much you love your two bonus children that are in Sunday school. And, and you've said to me, those are my kids. You went from a husband to a father, and I know it's going to change those kids' lives, and it's a great example to all of us on what real love is. We were once, we were once orphans, and God chose to adopt us, even when we were enemies, even when we were rebelling against him, even when we didn't want to listen to his rules and boundaries. He chose to love us. So thank you for being a great example of true love, Tyson. You're an inspiration for me and others. Let's close in prayer, and let's just consider uh, the ultimate love story is when uh, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So Jesus, we just want to honor you today and say thank you for impacting so many lives, for, for changing hearts. And I pray, God, that you would just change hearts today. And God, Lord, we know it's not a simple process. It takes more than one day, one sermon. But Lord, put us on the path towards reconciliation with you first and, and then with those we love. And Lord, help us not to keep a record of wrong, that our past is simply that. It is behind us. And Lord, we look to you and to you, our future. And I just pray that we stop looking in the rearview mirror and just stay focused on what's ahead. In our eyes, Lord, we want them to be fixed on you, Jesus, because you are the one who can author our story, that can tell our story, that can lead us into the next chapter. So maybe some of us here today, God, need to just let this, this chapter we're in today come to an end. The only way we can is if we can see a future. So Lord, I pray for a future of forgiveness and grace and true love for my brothers and my sisters here this morning. I pray the same prayer for myself. We know that you will always love us. We thank you for that, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.